This is Unicorn Builders, where we tell the untold stories of the founders who've defied the odds and built billion-dollar companies. Here's your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines.io. Now, let's jump straight into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Abai, CEO and founder of Typeface, an enterprise AI platform that's raised $165 million in funding. Abai, thanks for chatting with me today. Hey, Brad, great to be here. So I was looking online and I see that you started your career at IBM in 1996 as a software researcher. So let's start there. What was going on in your world in 1996? Well, first of all, I didn't know you were going to date me by uh, starting to 1996 all the way, but uh, no, it was pretty exciting times. I mean, I know right now we are all in the next inflection with Gen AI. At that time, the big thing was kind of very early inflection points of the internet and the web. And there was this thing that had not even broken out, uh, which eventually became Java. So in fact, I kind of started accidentally in many ways, working on a project that eventually became this phenomena called Java, which was kind of a programming language for the web and internet. And so really hardcore engineer when I started um, and kind of have throughout been kind of a product engineering kind of guy. But back then, the excitement was how do you go from the world of Windows and the desktop software to this completely exciting new world of TCP IP, internet, web, and all the possibilities that it represents. And I'm going to skip over a few things here in your career, but just a, a few of the organizations to highlight. You were at Microsoft, you were at Oracle, and then you were at Adobe. And at Adobe, you were CTO and CPO. Tell us, what was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, that was just an unbelievable ride. I mean, actually, all of these companies, Microsoft for a decade, world-class company, amazing people, some amazing technology kind of DNA. Uh, I think Adobe is incredible company. I mean, for me personally, I have a lot of passion for photography. And so being in a place at the intersection of that deep technology and art and creativity and products that I have kind of been using for decades, like Photoshop and Lightroom. So one, it was just incredible, exciting opportunity to be able to join that kind of world-class company. But more importantly, over the seven or eight years that I was there, Fortunately, it ended up being one of those unique moments in the company's history where we were able to kind of go transform that business entirely from traditional desktop software business to a cloud and subscription business. Mobile wave really kind of accelerated a lot of the journey around creativity and productivity with PDFs and digital marketing. So it was just an all around incredible journey of transformation, growth, world-class engineers and artists. And all in all, the company kind of was absolutely firing on all cylinders. So I was fortunate enough to be part of that journey. Did your passion for photography begin when you joined Adobe or did you have that before you joined the company? No, I've always, I mean, I had that passion well before and was a longtime user of Lightroom, in fact, uh, before I joined Adobe. And so when they approached and I had the opportunity to join and lead the engineering and technology and kind of as a CTO, that was kind of one of those once in a lifetime kind of opportunities because how often do you get to mix what is your personal passion and hobby now with the job and the profession where you get to build the tools that you ultimately actually have a passion for using. I'm sure it's hard to pick, so I don't want to put you in a bad spot, but what's your favorite photograph that you've ever taken? Oh, favorite photograph I've ever taken. That is a hard one. Uh, I mean, I do primarily landscape photography is kind of really what I do a lot of. And I don't do a lot of other like portraits and stuff. I would say 
maybe as probably a lot of photographers probably have similar stories. Probably one of my most favorite photographs that I've taken uh, was in fact the accidental photograph. I was trying to compose a frame in a very ancient kind of a old building in India, like a few hundred year old building, old architectural marvel. And I was actually composing a shot and he, a woman walked in and with a dark sill out, she, she just walked into the frame. And that picture actually ended up being one of the best pictures I've taken. It was completely not a skill, but was all accident. <laughs> Do you have any like bucket list landscapes that you haven't been to yet that you're just you know dying someday to, to go to and, and get some shots of? Yeah, no, there are a lot of them actually. Unfortunately, I mean, the world has so many beautiful places. When I say unfortunately with when you're building a business and a company, unfortunately, the one casualty of that is not having enough time to go do as many of those uh, landscape photography uh, kind of hobbies and time for that. But no, I, I would love to. I mean, there are lots of places. I would say New Zealand is kind of one of the areas I have not actually. I, I mean, it's a spectacular place with unbelievable landscapes. And so that's probably the one where I would love to go spend three, four weeks uh, just doing landscape photography. One final question on your background before we dive into everything that you're doing today, and, and that's about your role as a board member. So the two ones that I recognize, you know, it's Schneider Electric and Dropbox. What's that like being on the board of these big, massive organizations? And how has that made you a, a better founder and operator? Yeah, no, I mean, that's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, as you can imagine, being kind of a founder of a super small company when you are in operating role versus being a board member of large public corporations or global corporations like Schneider, uh, very different ends of the spectrum. I would say for me, the two things that are incredibly valuable of that experience, first of all, is you're surrounded by unbelievably accomplished and talented individuals from different industries at different stages in their professional lives. And just the amount of learning you get by just not only learning and absorbing the business of that company, but the experiences, how other board members actually engage, what questions they ask, what insights and advice they offer. So I would say both those boards have some incredible set of people on those boards kind of advising those companies. So that's probably the favorite part. And for me personally, I always look for also something that deeply connects for personally for me and something like Schneider, their mission around energy, sustainability, driving transformation kind of in the world around electrification. It's just one of those things that personally I find very compelling. And so I think having something about that company's mission that resonates with you is always important in my mind. I would say for the board to entrepreneur, obviously beyond the relationships and experience, but I think it also keeps you grounded in being able to step back and look at the big picture, look at different industries, different markets versus just being pigeonholed on your own kind of the company or the product, which can be all consuming. And so that's kind of a, that context switching also, I think helps a lot. Now, I think most founders listening in, they've heard of typeface, but maybe some of them don't know what exactly it is that you guys do. So let, let's start there. Can you just give us a high level overview of what you do and, and what the product does? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I know your listeners and founders are all probably right now tracking this exciting inflection point with generative AI, certainly starting with the foundational models, LLMs, uh, GPT-3, 4, other imaging models. It's a real technical breakthrough that we are on the cusp of now, probably over the next decade or two of computing agenda is going to be defined by role of computers kind of evolving from just automation machines 
to assistants and partners that understand our world, that can speak our language, see the world, humans see it, and kind of as that inflection point happens around role of AI in our lives, from both personal to enterprise, the question typeface started with last year was as these underlying platforms and foundational technologies evolve, which is going to be incredibly powerful for companies of all sizes on the planet before they can adopt these technologies, they do need some very specific capabilities because these models are globally trained, as you know. They're very globally rich because they're trained on internet data, etc. But they don't uniquely understand each company's brand and its voice and its personalization. And so really, in a nutshell, what Typeface is, is to take the power of these generative platforms and personalize that uniquely for each company so that they can generate content for their products, their brand, their customers, their audiences. Uh, and so we really focus on that personalization layer on top of the foundation model AI. I think a lot of others who've had a you know similar career to yours, you know, very, very successful, worked at incredible companies in a lot of you know, very high up executive positions, they would have you know, gone into maybe work at a VC firm or done angel investing, joined some boards, and you know, that would be it. That's what they would spend their time doing. But you decided to found a company here. So talk to us about that decision. And did you have anyone, you know, colleagues, friends, maybe families say, you know, what are you doing starting a company right now? You know, enjoy it, be a, be a board member, be an investor, but don't go and start another company. Do you ever have any conversations like that? Well, how much time do you have? Because there were a lot of those conversations uh, from a lot of well-wishers, a lot of friends, uh, a lot of people I uh, did talk to as I was transitioning out of Adobe. I mean, for me, one of the big, as I said, Adobe, phenomenal company, a lot of passion for the products and the people there. One of the big reasons I left is I am a product builder at heart. And I often talk about kind of these flag planters and road builders, which is the people who really like to go where there are no roads right now, you kind of plant a long-term flag, you hopefully get enough people excited about the future. And there's a lot of unknowns and you want to kind of lead, uh, hopefully a group of people down that path. And then there are people who are extremely good. Once the road is built, how do you actually just keep turning and iterating and tuning existing successful businesses? And there's nothing wrong in either of those. For me, I'm closer to the flag planting and kind of discovering what's around the corner. And Essentially, I started getting really nervous about AI being this generational shift. Uh, and I should say this was before any of the chat GPT, stable diffusion, any none of those things had happened actually when I left Adobe and started Typeface. But there was this inkling that, hey, look, this feels like is the next big shift. And I didn't want to have a regret kind of five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, looking back, that why didn't actually you jump on that if you are a product builder at heart? And so for me, this was really more driven by this notion that if there is a once in a decade shift coming and you happen to be at the right place at the right time, why wouldn't you actually go look around the corner and go swing for the fences? So that's kind of what the motivation was. A lot of people did correctly ask the question you just did, which is, hey, that's a very different path for somebody who has spent time as a CTO or exec in Adobe or Microsoft, you get used to certain large-scale platforms and how you go to market. And I would be lying if I didn't tell you, yeah, that certainly was a concern. That was something I had to think very carefully that am I actually at a place in life where I really do want to go start from scratch and everything that's good and bad about that journey and all the ups and downs. 
but ultimately you have to have a little bit of recklessness if you are possessed by a kind of a new idea new vision new exciting frontier and sometimes it's better just to ignore some of those kind of analytical questions and risks and thoughts and just go jump in let's talk a little bit about timing so you founded the company in may 2022 and from what i found online you became a billion dollar company within 12 13 months or at least that's when it hit the media it was in june of this year that it was announced that it was a billion dollar company so Within a year's time, uh, the company became a unicorn. Does that surprise you? you know, if you reflect back on your mindset and your intention when you were starting the company, did you think that was going to happen that fast? Like, was this all the master plan? Or is this a surprise that the company achieved this level of growth so early on in its journey? Yeah, I mean, first of all, completely not planned and completely there's no master plan. And I would say probably if I look at career, a lot of people often have very clear answer that they planned ahead. All the career decision and, and the typeface journey so far, I wouldn't say it was a very master planned choreographed set of moves. It's a set of things as they emerged and as they jump, evolved, we kind of were fortunately able to adapt and execute as a team. But so first of all, completely surprised, both that it has happened this fast. Uh, but I will also say more than that, and it is it is an exciting milestone for the team and the company to have the recognition in the market. But frankly, I'm more pleasantly surprised by the amount of progress the team has been able to make in terms of building a really world-class differentiated product, being able to get it in the hands of customers within a year where some of the biggest enterprise customers are now using it, giving us high-value feedback. So I think to me, those are the things that probably, I mean, we were ambitious. We wanted to make a lot of progress quickly, but I've just been blown away by how much the team has been able to do within the first 12, 13, 14 months. And then the unicorn fundraising thing I kind of look at as a side effect, a very good side effect. I don't want to trivialize its value and it's kind of the flexibility it affords us as a business to go execute. But to me, that's almost a second order side effect. One, because how market exploded around generative AI. I mean, that's the first thing I would tell you. I don't think I expected that to happen. When we started the company, we thought it's a three to five year journey before AI starts becoming mainstream for the enterprise audience. I think chat GPT probably has cut short at least a couple of years uh, in terms of market excitement, awareness. I think we still have long ways to go, but between the market moving much more aggressively on the AI and generative AI, and then the team coming together and executing a compelling product vision very aggressively probably got us to the unicorn status much earlier than I would have thought. When it comes to you know, achieving that unicorn status, I think like the benefits of that are very obvious, but what's not so obvious sometimes would be the downsides of achieving that status. And one of those downsides that a lot of other unicorn founders have told me is that it can be difficult to keep the team hungry, to keep everyone humble, you know, when the, the media is writing these positive things and you're seeing this type of growth. Has that been an issue for you? And if so, what have you done to make sure that the team remains focused and doesn't get too distracted by this type of milestone? Yeah, no, I mean, first of all, Brett, that's a really insightful and a great question. In fact, it's something we as a team actually talked about before we raised that round. And we really debated whether we should raise it or not and whether that's actually in the aggregate, the positives of having that kind of world-class investors, the financial runway it affords us to go execute versus what are the potential downsides. And one of the downsides is exactly what you said. 
which is at the stage we are in maintaining that extreme healthy paranoia around market shifting the agility we need to continue to execute scarcity of resources in terms of how we go build products how we take them to market those are actually extremely strong positive motivators for a company our stage and we didn't want to lose any of that and so i think first i would say that's something that's very much at top of mind was before we raised and continues for us as a leadership team as a whole team one thing i would say that we are a little bit fortunate in that it's a very seasoned team and i think everyone is pretty calibrated having seen many up cycles and down cycles and companies go get a lot of positive benefits of hype cycles and then companies get unnecessarily punished sometimes even if they have a healthy business and so i think the team hopefully has a a healthy perspective of taking these positive moments enjoying and celebrating as we should but really taking a long view of what matters is the foundational business foundational technology foundational product building and not letting these things kind of distract you too much and so one of the things my team kind of jokes and sometimes not joke that i often focus a lot on kind of the glass half empty of all the things that we still need to get better at and and it's funny even when we are having these fundraising announcement happen we were all in a meeting we talked about it for 2 minutes and then we were right back to all the issues around product and go to market and how we tell the story and so hopefully we are focusing on the right long term kind of metrics but it is something you have to always watch for especially as you grow the team as everyone comes in how do you make sure you keep focus on the culture and where you are in the cycle and what matters in the long run this show is brought to you by frontlines media a podcast production studio that helps b2b founders launch manage and grow their own podcast now if you're a founder you may be thinking i don't have time to host a podcast i've got a company to build well that's exactly what we built our service to do you show up and host and we handle literally everything else to set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast visit frontlines.io/podcast now back to today's episode There's obviously a lot of customer demand right now for AI and enterprise AI and that's obviously good. The bad side of that is there's a lot of people who are fighting and battling over that demand and trying to capture that demand. So, from a marketing perspective, what are you doing right now to really rise above all that noise and battle out the competition to make sure that you're the one that captures all that demand that's out there? Yeah, no, I mean as you correctly said, there is incredible amount of excitement, incredible amount of customer interest that does bring with it a lot of noise, a lot of hype. everyone starts kind of using the same word same story so all the good and the bad you are absolutely correct that right now gen ai space is kind of overheated with a lot of people jumping in correctly and in it's still early days so it's probably going to get even more crowded and more exciting in the years to come i think for us we focus on three things just to get kind of us stand out first for us it starts with the product ultimately you have to build a long term differentiated moat both in terms of differentiated technology but differentiated experience and workflow in the markets you are serving in the audience you are serving because if you don't have that everything else kind of has to anchor off of do you have a differentiated and unique product moat and i would say this is one of the things i would say i learned personally from a decade at microsoft adobe companies like that they are successful decade after decade because they focus on building those long term deep technology and product moats doesn't mean they get every one of the shifts right and so we focus on let's focus on the product moat so first for us we have to differentiate and stand out on our own merit with the product 
that's kind of the first thing. I think on the marketing side, which is what you were asking, we have done two things that I think are a little bit unique for a startup to stand out. First, we said we are going to really go focus on the enterprise market and the kind of the high end of the enterprise segment, some of the biggest brands, which obviously means the requirements they have are pretty demanding. And so to be able to step up to the plate and go engage with some of the biggest CPG, retail, travel and hospitality, financial services, we kind of said ultimately we will create our story and narrative to really target and focus on that class of the customer and maybe not so much in the super small companies to begin with. Again, each of those has huge opportunity, but I would say we focused our marketing and message and the product story on a segment that we are going to go ruthlessly target and focus. But the last thing I'll say that's a little bit unique about Typeface, and this certainly also contributed to some of our fundraising and stuff, is we ultimately said Gen AI is an extremely big shift in the market that no company is going to be able to go do it alone. And so to really participate in that wave and shift in a big way, we early on decided let's actually go do some very deep strategic partnerships with some of the biggest players in the market. And so this is frankly where the team and myself having the relationships and our background helps. But as you might know, we partnered with both Microsoft early on and then Google and then recently Salesforce. And all three of them are investors in the company. All three of them have very deep go-to-market partnerships. And so that kind of really is a unique approach for us because we are able to leverage those companies, their reach, their presence in the market and tell a joint story. And so that's one way we are trying to stand out uh, from the market. Can you give us an idea of the level of growth that you're seeing right now? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's exciting. Obviously, as a private company, we don't share all kinds of quarterly numbers uh, widely. But what I would say is kind of maybe three things around what we are seeing. Unlike other technology shifts, as you and I have both seen, sometimes there's a lot of hype on certain technologies, but the noise gets way ahead of the actual value and impact and the level of customer understanding. With Gen AI, what is gratifying, since we came out of stealth, we only came out of stealth as a company in March of this year, so five, four, five, six months ago, the wide-ranging customer interest who signed up to be on our wait list and start getting access to the software and start deploying this uh, in their environment, we had thousands of kind of companies sign up literally in the first few weeks. So that's kind of just one directional uh, data point. And this includes super small companies that are looking at generative AI to give them a leg up on content creation and personalization. So a small cosmetic company in Canada, for example, on one end to all the way to some of the biggest Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies in CPG, in retail, in consumer electronics. And so, for example, one of the ones we have talked publicly about is LG in Korea, uh, LG Electronics. They are now using Typeface to do some really amazing creative kind of content creation that gives them significant velocity uh, with which they can create content and deliver eventually to 90 countries where they operate. And so, we are excited by the broad-based interest in the size of companies, the industries that are all jumping in. But Brett, maybe the last thing that gives me the most hope and excitement for typeface, but the market at large around Gen AI, is even at this early stage, there is a very strong conversation and focus around value and ROI, which is how are these new tools going to actually deliver top-line or bottom-line impact? And so that's really what we are already seeing, a very strong 
conversation and we are developing kind of these value frameworks that we are engaging with these large companies on. If we look at the Fortune 500, just to isolate a, a buying group there, how would you summarize the approach they're taking to generative AI? Is this like early adopters who are poking around, just trying to you know, understand if how it fits into their business and how they can bring it in? Or are they really you know, eagerly looking to bring this in, deploy it and have it you know, in production as, as fast as they possibly can? Yeah, it's a great question. And first I would say it's early days. And I would say it's probably different by different industries. I think there's certain industries, at least what we are finding, that are maybe taking a more aggressive stance. And there are certain highly regulated or industries where a lot of the compliance, copyright, legal, privacy, by the way, which are important topics for all industries and all customers. But different industries are, I think, taking a slightly different approach would be my first point, at least is what we are seeing. But what they are doing, to your point, there is one end of the spectrum, which is they are kind of figuring out some early pilots, scoping some use cases. Let's try this out, bring these technologies and see what works and what doesn't. That's kind of one end of the spectrum. But we are finding there are quite a few companies that are in specific areas. Like in our case, we really focus on marketing and customer facing use cases. Uh, it's kind of one of the primary areas. What we are finding is they already have a very well-defined view of where they would like to see ROI improvement, whether it's content creation across all the channels from their website to social to email campaigns. And so they already have a very well-defined ROI metric and they are engaging with companies like Typeface and saying, if you can come in and deliver this impact, then we are really ready to roll this out pretty aggressively in our production environments at scale. And so I do think it's both ends of the spectrum that you talked about. Within the next 12 to 18 months, my prediction is, at least in the enterprise market, you're going to start seeing a real meaningful shift from just early dabbling some prototypes, let's ask some people to try out as an innovation team, from there to very well-defined value maturity models. This is how much ROI we expect from deploying this kind of a generative AI marketing solution or generative AI HR solution. I do think we are going to see a pretty rapid shift within the next year or so on that. You think there's a generative AI bubble? That's something that I, I see heavily debated on Twitter and there's you know, media articles talking about that, saying it is a bubble, it's not a bubble. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, obviously, as you know, one of the challenges with a bubble, most people don't recognize it while you are in it. Uh, but I would say, I would say two things. The nature of the foundational shift that is this a real technology breakthrough that's going to permeate throughout our personal and professional lives? And I'm talking about generative AI at large. Without any doubt in my mind, this is going to be one of the biggest shifts in computing for the next decade. Now, that doesn't mean every single technology we are currently thinking is going to play out or all the players are currently clear. So there will be lots of twists and turns. But this one is a foundational shift like cloud was like mobile has been for the last decade, that is without, I don't think there is any bubble in that foundational shift. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if anything, we are probably underestimating the profound impact this shift is gonna have. So that's one. That said, once you have a big change like that, there are some temporary distortions that get created, whether it's in the funding market in terms of VCs and investing market or the excitement companies have around how quickly this change will arrive or what kind of use cases tomorrow you will get suddenly flying cars 
And I do think there is a definitely a bit of a hype and noise and a bubble around not whether this is a real shift, but how quickly it's going to transform every single industry, every single enterprise. Our view, and that's kind of the view we are taking at typeface, this is a real meaningful change for the next decade. You're going to have to be thoughtful about how you bring this safely into your enterprise architecture. You have to solve problems around compliance, copyright, safety, ethical AI. You have to bring these tools into your existing workflows. And so it's going to take time. And so one last thing I'll say as somebody participated in the cloud shift, uh, both at Microsoft and Adobe, even after a decade, the overall worldwide cloud deployment is still in the minority relative to the existing infrastructure. And it will happen, but these things take time, especially in the enterprise market. And so I would say there is no bubble in my mind relative to the foundational shift. People are getting a little bit carried away around how quick and how immediate this thing is. But if you take a five-year and 10-year view, I think we would undeniably see Gen AI having transformed our personal lives and certainly transformed the enterprise fabric. The other big topic in the space is, of course, about regulation. Do you ever worry that regulation will come that'll be too aggressive and could potentially harm the business? Do you ever have concerns about that? I don't think I have that concern. I do think, in fact, as I alluded before, we are actually going to need some well-defined regulatory frameworks, well-defined public policy, social implications. By the way, and this is not just about enterprise or commercial software, right? I mean, these tools like generative AI are going to transform every facet of our life. I mean, if you just for a minute think about what the future of education looks like for kids that are, I mean, I have an 18-year-old who's about to go to college, but if you think about over the next decade, how kids are going to learn, these AI tools are going to be profoundly integral to their education experience. And so having a really artful dialogue around privacy, around notion of bias, around what is acceptable and what is not. So it is a very, very meaningful set of issues that we have to confront and solve. So I actually don't worry that regulation will come. If anything, I actually worry, will we get enough of a kind of a appropriate set of guardrails, frameworks, kind of a convergence of policy and legal and social norms to evolve provide the right set of guardrails for commercial businesses to operate in, I think it's going to happen. And I think it should happen. And in my opinion, the sooner that emerges, in fact, the better. What's your view when it comes to your market category? Is it enterprise generative AI or is it something more specific? And I think for you, because it's enterprise, that's probably much more relevant, right? I feel like when you're selling to SMBs, then category isn't very important. But I would have to imagine that a lot of these large enterprises, they they buy based on category. They buy based on what Gartner's telling them to do. So what are your thoughts there when it comes to the market category that you're in or you're eventually going to be in? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, I'll start with typeface first and then I'll broaden it a little bit to your question. On the typeface side, while we are building a platform that can serve and scale variety of different enterprise use cases and functions from marketing to sales to HR, and we even have customers already, for example, using us to do some really innovative things around HR, around employee communications, LinkedIn job postings, et cetera. But we did say early on as a company, let's focus on really nailing certain verticals and use cases within the enterprise. And I would say marketing, customer-facing kind of workflows around commerce, marketing, kind of personalization is really where we are starting. 
I do think if you take a long view and build the right kind of platform, you can scale from those use cases to adjacencies. And we are already starting to see even this early where our customers are kind of pulling us and guiding us to say, well, if you can do this, can your platform also naturally then scale to this next adjacency? And I think that's something we are excited about, but we want to be balanced in terms of our focus and discipline needed to grow the business before we get too broad. So that's kind of a tight phase. But maybe your broader point is an exciting one. I do think the first wave of generative AI, the focus has been on these very broad horizontal platforms like ChatGPT or underlying infrastructure platforms from Microsoft, OpenAI, Google, etc. I think what's going to happen in the coming years is what I call deep and narrow version of generative AI, which is AI models that are trained more and more on unique business functions for marketing, for sales, for legal, for support, and even by industry. Because what a retail and consumer electronics company may need will be very different than what a healthcare company with its regulatory frameworks can accept and use. So I think you're going to see this extreme explosion in my mind in a vibrant way of a lot of different specialized capabilities around AI models and workflows by function within the enterprise, and then also by industry across the globe. As I mentioned there in the intro, you've raised 165 million a day. What would you say you learned about fundraising throughout this journey? I mean, I think there are lots of lessons I would say I could take from our own journey, but also as having talked to other founders and people, especially in earlier stages. I would say, first of all, relationships matter a lot. And I know everyone says that maybe that's a cliche, but really picking the right set of investors and partners. I mean, yes, obviously having the capital to actually build your company and vision matters a lot, but the capital from the right set of partners and investors who are really aligned with your long-term view. And for us, especially in a market that is kind of pretty hot right now, as you correctly said, what was crucial and what remains crucial is are we actually working with set of partners who are both aligned with the view of the market, what we are trying to do, but also can help us on that journey uh, beyond just the capital. So I would say for me today, even more so than when we started, the value of the right set of people around the table to guide us, to give us feedback, to bring us relationships and introductions and customers, I think that's incredibly valuable. I mean, I will say money obviously is very important to be able to build a company and get it off the ground. But a lot of those intangibles, I would say, are as important as the money that comes into the company. So that's kind of probably one lesson I would say. I think the other thing I would say, and this is maybe, you really have to make sure that for a lot of these investors, what is their worldview around the big shift that's happening? And are you in a category that deeply resonates and aligns with their thesis? Because the last thing you want is set of investors who actually either do not have the shared conviction and belief on the category as a whole, not just your company. And obviously for us right now, the AI category just having exploded the way it has, that's not a, exactly an issue right now because a lot of investors are excited about that. But then it becomes a, even more crucial to find the ones that deeply really align to what you're trying to build and where you're trying to go. Let's imagine you were starting the company again today from scratch. What would be the number one piece of advice you'd give to yourself based on everything that you've learned so far? That's a great question. I mean, first of all, I would say we are still 
early enough in our own journey that I probably should be more on the receiving side of that advice in terms of what other successful founders and people who have built companies to much further degree of success in much longer than I have. So I, I'm not sure I have enough of a retrospective, well-formed view yet. And so this feels more like maybe I should be absorbing rather than delivering that advice. But probably the only thing I would say is when I started, there was a fair amount of focus I had around finding the right set of people, whether these are my kind of the core founding team members or investors or early customers. And I would say while I had a lot of focus on that, a year in it's even more crucial and clear to me that finding the right set of people to get on the bus early can have such a huge impact in your journey and your experience and your success that I would probably tell anyone starting is, yes, you should focus on the idea. Yes, you should focus on fundraising. Yes, you should focus on building product, but focus inordinately on who are those first two, three, five people that you are really going to bring in with you and actually are going to be in day in, day out with you, shaping and creating this new entity. And so I would say that's probably my biggest thing would be doubling and tripling down on finding the right people, right culture fit, right shared alignment of values and conviction and vision is probably the one thing I would ask myself to do even more of than I did last year. Final question for you. Let's zoom out three to five years into the future. Let's go a bit deeper into that vision. I know you've told us a little bit about it, but let, let's go big here. What's the big picture vision that you're building? I mean, there's obviously a lot we could talk at different altitudes. I'll just zoom out all the way to what I think I'm most excited about this generative AI at large, and then talk about typefaces role, hopefully in that transformation. I think what we are about to witness, Brett, in my mind over the next decade is for the first time, we are entering a phase where instead of us as humans adapting to computers, which is what we have done over the last three, four decades, learning programming languages and interacting with various ways to take, we have adapted to computers. I think we are about to enter a phase where powered by these AI models, natural language models, computers are for the first time are gonna start adapting to us. And I think once you flip those roles, both in our personal and enterprise lives, is going to open a whole new a world of experiences and applications that just hasn't been possible. And I know that's a pretty abstract thing. For typeface, what that means is the world of enterprise software at large is going to transform from the world that we have today of a bunch of application islands, each one doing their own automation workflow for sales and marketing and support and finance and legal, powered by a variety of data and databases islands, to a completely fluid knowledge and intelligence fabric. So five years, 10 years from now, if you look inside a company, I think you're going to find a very different kind of fluid knowledge fabric that you can just seamlessly talk to, interact with in natural ways. And the lines between traditional app silos and data is just going to be all blurred and broken down. That's an exciting transformation of the enterprise. And it's going to have hundreds of billions of dollars of new value created as a commercial opportunity. At Typeface, we want to be one of the companies. I don't think it will be one winner take all. It will be many, many winners. And we aspire to play a big role in that enterprise transformation uh, and rewiring the enterprise uh, to this future. Amazing. 
I love the vision and I, I've loved this conversation. I know we're over on time. I don't want to hold you any longer. So we'll have to wrap here. Before we do, if there's any founders listening in that just want to follow along with your journey, where should they go? Well, I mean, they can certainly reach out to me directly, personally, obviously on any of the LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever. And obviously for Typeface, uh, they can just follow us at typeface.ai. That's the best place to kind of follow our journey. Amazing. Abai, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. This has been so much fun. I've really enjoyed it. Hey, thanks, Brett. Great to be here. All right. Keep in touch.